0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello,
1: Caviar Dreamers. I'm Margaret Josephs. And I'm Lexi Babuto. And every week we are bringing you entrepreneur real stories from leaders, disruptors, change makers, and risk takers.
0: We may not be serious, but we seriously mean business.
1: Hi, Caviar Dreamers. I'm here, and I just want to make a formal announcement. I have a summer cold, so my voice is even more brassy and old lady-like than normal. Oh, You could say
0: sexy also. We could call it sexy
1: voice, but I'm super excited. We have an amazing guest here. We have Jennifer from JG Talks.
0: Yes, thank you. It's so good to be here. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Yes,
1: and I mean, she came all the way up from Bethesda and came to our studio. We've been trying to schedule her because this is super important.
0: Yes, a very important topic. So Jennifer, I know you work with a lot of students around how to succeed with the challenges that they face now, especially with anxiety and like scheduling and handling things. And I feel like even as an adult, I'm struggling. I mean, like I can't get out from under myself and I'm 42, I've had 42 years of practice.
2: Yes. It is very common, particularly post-pandemic, I think everyone to you know, for one reason or another is really struggling with anxiety. So I have been a college professor at the University of Maryland for the last 8 years, and in that time have taught about 400 students per year required course in business law. So I sort of saw the whole range of students, and since the pandemic, I have really noticed a significant decline in their skills and competencies and a corresponding uptick in anxiety. So I now have resigned from Maryland because I want to have more of an impact on students everywhere, even beyond my classroom. And I now give talks to groups of students all about these foundational skills they need to develop into
0: competent, confident adults. That's
2: what it's about.
0: that's so terrifying that, like you witnessed it, and it was such a staggering, obvious fact
2: it it has been sorry, no, okay. no, 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 I,
1: I I just want to ask you, so I know you know, so many things came out of the pandemic, but but, like, what kind of symptoms not only like cognitively or they weren't weren't focusing what what was it specifically that you were seeing within the students?
2: generally, more of a lack of professionalism an inability to manage their time, very basic questions about how they should be studying, just sort of very basic, what I view as basic skills that these students haven't picked up along the way. And I've spoken with colleagues, both at Maryland and at other schools, and across the board, college faculty are noticing these trends. And that really made me think, you know, I can have, I have a captive audience in my classroom. So I always try to give my students my tips for competence and confidence. But it made me really think that more needs to be done for students even outside of Maryland.
0: Do you feel like because people were obviously like captive at home through the pandemic and they weren't managing time schedules and they could drift in and out of things and then they obviously increased their use of social media because they had more time on theirs. Do you think that's a factor also?
2: Yes. I mean, I think there are a number of factors. So certainly the pandemic hurt everyone. I think students are more socially stunted than they used to be. Mm, I agree. I mean, I don't know how to put it delicately, but that is the best way I can put it. I think social media has led to feelings of isolation and of not feeling actually connected or understood. In terms of connecting with professors, this is something I work hard in my talks to convey. You know, in high school, teachers have to know their students. That's part of the job. That is not the case in college, and especially in bigger schools, where it's really more of the onus is on students to develop those good relationships. Um, So I try to emphasize to students sort of what they can do to forge those connections and what the payoff is, because the payoff can be tremendous for students. I mean, I always say students should really think about their professors as part of their network and treat them accordingly. So I try to teach them in my talks how to do that. So there's there's a lot that goes
0: into this. I think that's so important because I, so I didn't go to school in America and we're not very good at advocating or networking in England. And I always admired that skill in american young people and then i happened to be with a ton of english young people last week and i saw a vast increase in like they were all in the early 20s incredible networkers built amazing businesses like really forged forward so i feel like maybe like now america is lagging behind again
1: yes i think it's so important to teach the networking skills and I do think younger people are disconnected. I think the phone has a big thing to do with it. I think social media has a big thing to do with it. How do you, you know, I always say that I want everyone to be present. I don't like when we're out to dinner and people on their phones, even, you know, my age group, I'm like, put away your phone. It's so annoying. When you meet with students, do you meet in large groups or do you meet in smaller groups? Like, what do you do? Like, what kind of skills do you tell them or get to them to like stop this anxiety or or connect with them this way.
2: Well, so to answer your first question, I give talks to both big groups and small groups. The groups I've done have ranged from 6 to 500 and sort of everything okay. in between. Wow. So okay. it's a really big range. And I'm very direct and if you ask any of my students they will tell you. I am I am blunt, I'm direct, I don't pull punches. And so I say, "Put your phones away." They are really hurting you. In class, I banned cell phones from being used. And when students tried, when I saw their phones, I would stop class and tell them to put them away because it's rude. It's disrespectful. It's unprofessional. And my job is to equip them with the skills they need to be functional adults in the world. And so it wasn't permitted in my classroom. So that's what I tell them. So when I give talks, I mean, you asked, you know, what skills I teach them. It depends on the audience and sort of, you know, whom I'm speaking with and for what purpose. Time management is a huge one. And the cell phones are so related to that. Students are tethered to their phones as if the phones were like another limb of their body. It is scary. And so I tell them you cannot work efficiently and get anything done when your phone is right there, like begging to be looked at, it's highly addictive. The social media, the group chats, you know, people think they're studying for like eight hours and it turns out they've studied for like 30 minutes, you know, in between all of the the no, phone. News. I agree. I it's, mean, it's I have that issue. I have that yeah. issue.
1: Yeah. I'm well, like doing are... my email then I'm looking at my Instagram. Someone, yeah. you know, sent me a message. I get an alert.
2: Right. So it's important to set proper boundaries around the cell phones because the phones are, you know, designed to be this way. But is that is that causing anxiety? Like,
1: is that what's causing, you know, the anxiety? Do the phones cause the anxiety, the social media, the disconnectedness?
2: Well, I think I would say two main things cause the anxiety. And this is just in my professional opinion. I think, number one, the fact that students are less skilled and competent, I I fully believe that competence breeds confidence. And so, you know, confidence and the ability to sort of work through anxiety ultimately comes down to knowing you can handle the challenges that come your way. It's not about a life without adversity, as you both know. So it's really about knowing you're equipped to deal with whatever the challenge is, the challenge of the the moment. But you have to be skilled to do that. You have to know that you can rely on yourself. And that takes skill and competence, which takes hard work to develop. So I think that's number one, that students in general have really declined in the skills and competency department. They truly have. So that's, number one factor. Number two, as I said before, alluded to, I think the irony of social media is you can be connected to thousands and thousands or millions of people and still feel alone. And so I always tell people, don't compare what's on your inside to what's on someone else's outside. It Social media is fake. And you know, it's engineered and it's what exactly the image people want to portray for their own reasons. So I think generally the addiction to social media has not been good for mental
0: health at all. I see it even with myself, you know, to go back to like the competency, if I'm not confident about something I have to do in business, I procrastinate that shit like you cannot believe. And especially like, we've launched a new company and this yes. areas that I'm managing right now, you know, because we're a startup that I don't feel as confident on. And I have so much anxiety around those things and it keeps me up at night and I procrastinate them. And it would be just better if I just said like, shit, like I better find out how to get help with this or get this done.
2: I totally get that. It's very normal. I think procrastination often comes from sort of not knowing exactly what you need to do. And it's overwhelming to think about. So I recommend, and this is part of what I talk about when I address time management, really breaking everything down into actionable, manageable steps that are not overwhelming because it's easier to not procrastinate when you have a sort of achievable task to complete Rather than thinking, oh my God, I have this huge challenge to overcome and I don't know where to begin. So I'm
0: going to scroll social media instead. One other thing I think that, like this pertains very much to me, so I'm sure it pertains to a lot of other parents. My work is very centered around my phone, like my emails, Instagram, a lot of the creative I do on the phone, even the podcast, people look through the phone and the posting. So my son is four and he sees me on my phone like 23 hours out of 24 a day and I feel like I'm setting a horrible example and when I tell him to put his iPad down it's very hard I try and be very present on weekends and not look at my phone but it's so hard what like what advice could you give for that situation
2: it's really hard I think to the extent you can tell him that your work is through your phone and that your particular job is unusual in that respect. Yeah. Just to sort of give some context but he's four. So yeah. he's I mean, it's I think hard. it'll be an ongoing conversation as he gets older and understands more. It's but so that's hard. What, what kind of changes do you think, you know, I'm just saying it's
1: just like cuz I do feel like social media is a blessing and a curse. I think you could start businesses Through social media, I think it's changed the world for better in some areas. Personally, I think it's the devil in (laughs) a a lot of ways. I really do. I feel I hate social media, though it's part of my job and my business. I think teenagers, uh, people in college have it so rough. Um, I'm so happy we didn't have it when I was younger. Me too. Yeah. What do you think is, is going to happen? I mean, these poor kids have to navigate this So I know this is this is your business now speaking, having to deal with people's anxiety. What what advice are you giving? Like stay off social media? Because, I mean, things come back to haunt you. It gives you anxiety. There's so many different things.
2: There are. And it's it's tough because different students need different things, you know, I don't tell them to stay off it because I'm a realist. And, you know, that's a great way for them to be like, all right, I'm done listening. You know, that's it's sort of a non-starter. nonstarter. We're already in that world. We're in, uh, I don't think there's any realistic way we're getting out of it. So I recommend that people schedule it as they would schedule an appointment. I say when you are studying, like you should be writing down a to do list. That's very specific, like from this time to this time, I usually say, you know, 45 minutes of focused studying without your phone and you set a timer and then you take a 10 minute social media break. So you're still checking in literally within an hour. And also, by the way, that will over time feel more comfortable and they'll realize the world is not coming to an end that they haven't checked social media in 45 minutes it's sort of good practice to handle longer stretches and i know it sounds crazy to even be talking in these terms but this is where we are you know i remember right before winter break so it was finals period it was the day before finals started i was walking through the atrium of the business school at maryland where i taught and there were tons of tables and chairs in that hallway and Students were sitting around with their laptops open and their papers and, you know, looking like they really intended to study. And I scanned the room and all but one student was on their phones. Every single student there. So many, dozens and dozens of students, except for one, were on their phones. And so they would tell you they were studying. And of course, they weren't. They intended to. They had every good intent in the world, but it wasn't happening. And this is what we're seeing all the time. And so they're not doing well, and they're not mastering material, and they're not feeling great about themselves and about their skills. I've had students come to me and say, you know, I'm really not that good at reading. I mean, this is the University of Maryland, but it's the same everywhere. Students aren't reading anymore. They're reading from screens. They don't read books anymore. It's terrible. I also, you know what else? People can't write. They can't. Students can't write. No. I mean, no. M- meaning,
1: my son. I don't want to out my son. He cannot write. Curs- <laughs> I mean, poor child. He cannot write cursive.
2: Oh, none he, of my he cannot write cursive. He
1: cannot read my cursive handwriting. No. And
2: they're not taught in And he writes my cards
1: yes. to me in print, and it looks like a five-year-old wrote it. Mm-hmm. And I'm and he's extremely successful, yep. and he has an unbelievable job. And I'm like, what is this nonsense? It looks yeah. like not to be mean, like your son wrote it to me.
0: Yeah, you know, it was yeah. I mean, and Nino's I'm like, Nino's handwriting is actually exceptional. He's in a handwriting block right now, and he's doing really well with his it. workbooks. But
1: it, I mean, cursive is just like I mean, I feel very special that I could write cursive. People but this can't is write the cursive. Thing.
0: Do we just accept now? Do we just
1: accept this low level of? I mean, what do you say? You're, I don't. I'm going to tell you something that happened. I'm not supposed to write. We had a whole thing about this word "conversate."
0: Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I
1: corrected the person. Said it's converse. Of course, it's converse. Well, guess what? I mean, I was. People wrote in onto uh, the show. I'm not, Margaret, you're a snob. You're this. It's in the dictionary. I said, well, don't put it on a college essay.
2: You know what else is in, or the, in the dictionary? Your college application. Now, irregardless. You can't even trust the dictionary anymore. I mean, that is not a
0: word. It's not a word.
2: No. See, I know this I'm is so old school.
1: I... So do you feel so when you're having, you know, people hire you, JG talks to you. I mean, do people hire you to go to their home? Are you working with students one on one to teach them these life skills? Because, I mean, this this is like getting insane. I mean, now we have to you know, you have created a career to ease students anxiety. Yes, yeah. it's so, almost like you're a life skill shrink. I'm trying. What is it? Yes. You're a life. <laughs> life I wanted to say, is it. it a life skill shrink? My... Maya, is that headline. what it is? It is a life skill well, shrink basically
2: sort of. Like but but geared toward academic and professional success. But so to answer your questions, I don't do one-on-one coaching because I really want to have as widespread an impact as possible and it's just not as efficient. So I want to reach a lot of students at a time. But I have different ways that I work. So I am hired by schools to come give talks to, you know, a whole class or a whole, you know, student group. I do work with the Greek system with national sororities Sororities and things. Yep. I recently did a Panhellenic talk at Maryland. So for the 16 sororities at that campus, Panhel hired me to give a talk to all of the new members of all the houses. So So that was really
1: like what like what do they do? They say Jen, these are the yep. bullet points.
2: So, yes, I mean, give, I always, Give me example of the bullet points. I always ask them sort of what they want me to focus on. So for them, they wanted me to focus on increasing involvement and engagement. So I talked all about professional networking, how to leverage sorority engagement professionally, how to look at it as an opportunity to develop your skills and to meet people you can network with, even beyond your chapter. It's about more than just achieving like perceived social capital or having people to go out with. It's, it's can, If you use it properly, it's really about so much more. So that was the gist of that talk. Small groups of students also hire me, like high school kids and their friend groups hire me. And I can do this in person or on Zoom. It's fabulous. And I teach them how to study how to manage their time, how to make a schedule, how to do all of these fundamental things that they have not learned to do. Let's, let's do a little thing like, because people have a hard time networking,
1: right? I I always say people have a hard time networking. I mean, I think I don't, I was, you know, I, I'm a good schmoozer people, you know, young people don't have those skills because they're socially awkward thanks to their phone. (laughs) So let's do a little mock thing. Cause you know, some people are like that's nosy, that's pushy, you know, it could be misconstrued that way. Right. Some people think you're a social climber. So, Lexi, you, yeah. you do it with Jen. You do it like be. be let's do a little mock network okay. thing for our, our list. here. like because okay. people think networking could be misconstrued as social climbing.
0: What's well, funny so is I don't something. like that. No. Right? I read something the other day that, you know, if you are in New York, the first question someone will ask you is what do you do? And I realize it's so true. And I'm so guilty of it. I oh, I do it all the like, time. I'm interested. So nice is, you that, watching is, is it you wrong think? to do that? I think.
2: I don't think it's wrong to do that. I think what is most important and what not enough people think about is to be service minded when you go into a conversation. OK, good. I, think, I like that service. minded. Yes. I mean, that's what I try to convey. Networking isn't just about, well, what can you do for me? Mm-mm. It's about what do you do? Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your goals. Tell me about what you're doing. And that's why I love your podcast, because I feel like that is just naturally what you guys are doing. And, you know, how can I help you? What skills do I have that I can bring to the table to be helpful without thinking, you know, well, is this going to be good for me in the long run. Will I get payback? Are they worth helping? It's just nonsense.
1: No, it's true. I think that's that's a very good point. I think people get very confused because it's like when I'm interested, is like I'm I'm a connector. I just connected two people. One good friends of mine. I'll call, I hope they listen. David Parker Kennedy. He has amazing estate jewelry he collects, and he wants to start a jewelry line. I connected him with another friend of mine who I just met, who's this jewelry designer manufacturer. And I connected the two of them. You know, it's also about making connections. So I'm interested in what people do. So I think young people have to realize that you're going to meet people along the way. And it's about connecting other people that you can make introductions. And and that's what it is. It's not about just like what you can gain from the relationship. It's like you can help a friend. You can help this one. It's it's about being the ultimate connector.
2: That and is Jennifer what I, is
1: absolutely right. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, that's how I live. I feel like I'm constantly connecting people mm-hmm. and constantly trying to help people without sounding like Pollyanna or something, you know. But really, it's so important because that's what it's really about. And that's what helps you develop meaningful connections. And I say to students, the payback is real. Sometimes it's years later, though, and we you won't even be able to predict early on. So you have to go into it just thinking, okay, how? what do I bring? What skills do I bring? And that also increases confidence, by the way, to know the value that you bring to the table, to know who you are and what you can offer. So it, it serves dual purposes, really, of reminding you of your value and worth and increasing confidence and figuring out how you can be in a position to help others. And the results are really amazing, but unfortunately, students don't naturally sort of think like that. I think you I think
1: we have to also talk to parents yeah. to yes. teach their kids this because I feel like I did a good job teaching my kids this. My kids are very good networkers.
0: Very. I don't yeah. talk
1: about my kids a lot on the show, but they're very good networkers. Yeah. Very. They're very social. They're always connecting, they're, they're connecting because I'm very social. I think it, it has to do with your social skills.
2: A lot of it does. And I give talks to parents as well. I hadn't even mentioned that. So I'm glad you raised it. I mean, I give talks to often like PTAs, parents associations and parent groups about the challenges their children will face if they're not already facing these challenges and what they can do to help their kids before they launch.
0: I about think I this. might need that. I'm <laughs> go- I am see I'm a good social parent. Like I'll never forget. Well, our first parents night was on zoom because of the mm-hmm. pandemic and Nino was two and a half. And you know, he was in a very good school. He's still in a good school. And the parents were asking about the, uh, PBLs, the project-based learning blocks that he was doing at two and a half. Oh, I thought that was a sandwich. Um, yeah, PBL, exactly. <laughs> and they were asking about like engineering modules and math modules. And they were like, does anyone else have any other questions? And I was like, hey, just want to remind everyone it's Nino's birthday. So we're going to be doing <laughs> a huge party. I'm oh, like it. the social chat. And I like that. That's And Nino's very confident. He will walk back into the frozen yogurt store, ask for a lid for his yogurt by himself. Tell the girl, thank you so much. I heard him say, have a nice day at the weekend to the girl behind the counter, And then he went and got back one for his friend also who needed one. He's confident. But I'm very nervous about academic stuff because I'm not I'm creative as opposed to academic. So when it comes to giving him skills for studying and focusing, like, I feel like that's where I'm going to fall down.
2: Well, I'll tell you. I mean, and it's way too soon because he's still really young, but. I mean, it really comes down to active studying. I tell students all the time and it blows them away. Reading is not studying. Like, you know, they gloss over their eyes, glass over as they read the note, their notes, and they think they're studying and they may as well be like out drinking for all the good it does. It's useless. Studying is an active process. And the the learning techniques that lead to long-term retention and understanding of material, it has to be more active than reading. So I tell them exactly how to study actively.
1: Well, what's an active study? Tell me, because so obviously for example, I've been making a mistake. A no, <laughs> well, no, you know,
2: it sounds like your kids did just
1: fine. Yeah, I mean, I paid people to help them. Well. So I mean, that, could, that could be the first that might.
2: Yeah, that's always a good thing too. I tell them what to do with note cards. I mean, I learned this when I was studying for the bar. I'm a lawyer, by the way. Oh, um, we love I, a lawyer. Yeah, I've I been mean, I, I, my career's kind of gone in waves, and I've, you know, landed here. But I practiced law for many years, and the bar exam was hell to study for. I mean, the, the mountains of note cards I had to memorize. So I taught myself this technique, and now I teach it to students. So I always say, write out all your note cards. And pre-test yourself. So do a pile of cards you know and a pile you don't know. And then take two cards from the don't know pile and learn them. Anyone can learn two cards. And add them to the cards you know pile. And then review all the cards you know to make sure you really have learned those two new ones. And rinse and repeat. And do it until you know them all. So I've used this with my own children. I've advised this with... You know my students, and they're all blown away. It's like a really efficient, good I like way it. to study.
0: I like it. It's yeah, bite-sized pieces, you're
2: doing something, and it's not overwhelming. So it's things like that. You know what to do with your class notes. How to, you know, take a walk with a friend and teach each other the material because movement when you're studying is actually really good for, and it's more fun because you're with a friend and it's social. And you benefit from teaching. I mean, you really have to master material to teach it way more than just reading your notes and thinking it looks familiar. You know, it's a whole different level of of mastery that you get. So I teach them in my talks
0: how to do all these things. Oh, I like that. The movement. The The movement. I like it. Yeah. I have a totally superficial and ridiculous question, but I guess it kind of like sums up where social media... And Pass in the Bar Collide. Like, how do you feel about Kim Kardashian?
2: (laughs) I don't follow Kim Kardashian a lot. So I I don't know Mm -hmm. what I would say. Yes. Do you have a specific... No, well, because I was just, she, you know, passed the bar. Yeah, the irony,
0: Did she pass the bar? Yeah. Well, yeah. No, she's, she, a law, she's a is lawyer. Is she a lawyer? Did oh, I see. I'm out of the real bar yeah, or think,
2: the mini bar. I think
0: good there was, like a Different. Yeah. Was well, it like the a, real bar? That's what I was that's saying. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, know I don't want to say, bar. and I don't know. want to
1: trash talk little Kim. Right. No, but she's it. not little Kim. She's regular Kim. But.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, because the irony was not lost on me that she went to give a talk at Harvard Business School and she did a duck face and a peace sign in the pitches. You know, like. I think she plays the game very well, but it's so interesting to me because that's where, like, the two worlds collide. And if she inspires young women to be attorneys, yeah. that's fabulous. But, you know, like it, it's such an interesting segue. It is,
2: definitely. And she's obviously, you know, because of her celebrity, I mean, she's going to have opportunities and do things and have a following that most others wouldn't. So it'll be interesting to see sort of where she takes this and what she does with it. I think encouraging more young women to be lawyers is is a good. Yes. So what are like the top things to
1: reduce anxiety for the students and people in general? Because, you know, top anxiety reduction things. Well, get, I mean, to get you through if you're a student, you know,
2: the usual things, of course, exercise, eating properly, you get know, off social, media. you get know, out, just r- r- what do r- you r- tell r- them? Yes. Well, I, so I like them to feel some agency over their schedules and lives. I think that's so important to impose some structure and boundaries in your life so that you have some control over what your day is going to look like or over your schedule and over your commitments. So, That's a huge part of it. It's not, you know, when you just lie around on social media and kind of reading your notes and feeling guilty because you're not really getting everything done. And then you feel lazy and then you procrastinate. It's this vicious cycle and they feel like shit about themselves, you know? So I really encourage approaching their schedules and approaching their lives deliberately and mindfully. And so, you know, it doesn't mean like hours of meditation a day, though. Some people swear by it. I don't really meditate. No. so I'm not one. I, mm-hmm. I think I would have medicate. trouble like, right, <laughs> exactly. But I think, you know, ha- figuring out, OK, here's what I'm going to accomplish today. Like every day I should start with a to do list and being as specific as possible. And here's what I'm going to accomplish when and here's when I'm going to do social media it's okay to scroll on TikTok and Instagram and do their thing. It is not okay to do it all day. And, you know, because that is leading nowhere good. So it's really about sort of approaching their day mindfully because then they feel more in control and more competent and confident. I think that is really essential. And of course, you know, getting the help you need, being resourceful getting on medication if you need medication, going to therapy, all of those things, of course, are really important. But in terms of day-to-day life, what students can do, I think really often comes down to carrying out that agency in their own lives because then they feel in control. I feel like anxiety happens when we feel vulnerable to outside forces that we have no control over. I agree. So that's how you get back control. You take it back. It's
0: like starting today. Like it. Me. I get anxiety because I feel like there's so many channels of communication to reach me that I can't physically manage all the people who like I've like nine email addresses I have to look at every day for work. I have like three social media things between like the podcast. Oh, don't talk about soiree. it. It's giving me anxiety. <laughs> and, don't know, talk but about it. That's what it is like it's the open channels of communication and it's that, that that they're all open all the time.
2: So do you, when you check one of your email accounts, do you have the other alerts coming at you at the same time? Yes. Okay. So you can somehow mute those, right? Yes. Can you, that's what I would recommend. Literally do one thing at a time. Like people are not good at multitasking it's so funny when I hear students say oh I have an excellent multitasker people write that on resumes It's like no you're not no one is that's not a thing like multitasking is not a good thing because it makes us crazy it makes us I think anxious. that's why I'm crazy we're all crazy from yeah. trying I'm an
1: over multitasker <laughs> right
2: but the problem is you're not actually oh my
1: god you cured me
2: and
0: no it's amazing true. You are an I'm over cured. Multi- I'm into multi <laughs> you're, you're a you're time optimist. I'm a time optimist. i over and an I'm not Tasta. good at it.
2: I mean, no one is. Like, it's not personal. It's just, we're not meant to multitask. You're right. Like,
1: that's what it that's is. That's so true. And, you know, I yell at my husband because he's he doesn't try multitask. He's a
2: hyperfocuser. And
1: he's a hyperfocuser. I'm like, you we, suck. We, stop stop hyperfocusing. We all But yeah, maybe he's our been doing for it right. That.
2: I know, but uh, I don't want to say on open-air that. You know, the men are right, but no, but Joe's I have that, you know, Anna.
1: I multitask and I'm like, you're a loser because you can't do 25 things at once. That's what I tell And him. I do 25 mm-hmm. things at once. And he does one thing at a time. And I
0: freak out. Maybe that we maybe, got all but each
2: thing gets his full attention and he does it well. He does. And he does it efficiently because he's not. Being... No, let's not exaggerate. Well, all right. He does. Okay. <laughs> But Sorry, just, Joe. I was trying poor, to poor
1: Joe. <laughs> no, he, no, 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 but he does. But <laughs> yeah. I go crazy. But I do feel so like I, I mean, what more. people
2: have to understand, though, is multitasking. You know, you do it to be efficient, right, to get a lot done. And the problem is it's not efficient. It things take way longer. When when you're multitasking, you're right. It, they just they say what's going on.
0: Have, I have a question also. Are you a Capricorn or a Virgo? Virgo. How did you know? Because I'm a Capricorn. My mom's a Virgo. Marge Senior is a Virgo. My uh, my, yes. my old little counterpart, Lisa Gain, who I love is a Virgo. My dead a, husband was a Virgo. Yeah. Oh, or Jan, Jan. Joseph. We are women that love a to-do list. And if I do something that wasn't on my to-do list, I add it to my to-do list so I could cross it off. So I feel
2: good. You have to do that. (laughs) Who does not have a to-do
0: list? This one.
2: You don't have a to-do list?
0: Well, I do
1: sometimes. I just do whatever that comes in my head. I'm crazy, but you cured me today, so I'm I'm better. She's an
0: Aries. uh,
1: I'm an Aries. Amazing. I tell everybody else what to do.
0: (laughs) There's a lot to be said there. My to-do list is telling
1: everybody else what to do. That's important too. Jennifer, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on Thank
2: you for having me. And thank you for working with
1: all the young people to make them better and have less anxiety. Thank you. Tell everybody where they could find you.
2: So my website is jgtalks.org. And my Instagram, which I really would love for everyone to follow because I give a lot of tips. there. Yes. I am got to get yeah, these tips. No, I'm going to tell that. everybody needs these tips. <laughs> um, it is the h- Instagram handle is JG Talks Org. So JG Talks
1: Org. JG Talks Org, people. Yes. Listen, she's got a lot of great tips. I mean, I literally feel like 100 percent better.
0: I feel much better. I realize what's been
1: going on this whole time. I cannot multitask.
0: Well, thank you so <laughs> Sorry, much. Sorry,
1: I know this you're going to have like an identity. No, I feel better. I like perked up this. immediately. I'm like, I'm like. It might have oh been the my frozen coke. It could be also the frozen <laughs> coke. Okay, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. This was so great. Much. Thank you. Thanks for listening.
0: And if you love the podcast, don't forget to leave us a five star review at Apple Podcasts. Follow me at The Real Margaret Josephs. And me at The Life of Mrs. B. And the podcast at Caviar Dreams Tuna Fish Budget.
1: Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. Keep, Keep dreaming, Caviar
2: Dreamers. Caviar Dreamers.